We're going to start talking about um, identity. And, and the reason that this may uh, be a little bit unexpected, why are we talking about identity? I thought we were going to be talking about, uh, about fighting a battle. And, and the reason is this, that most, uh, almost 100% of the time, the battles that we um, engage in in our life, as we uh, seek to honor the Lord with our lives, as we seek to be godly men, almost all of the strongholds that we will encounter are aimed at uh, who we are in Christ. When you, when you peel all the layers back, when you peel everything away, ultimately what is being challenged is who am I in Christ and what am I uh, able to be and to do in this situation because of who I am? It feels like it, the, 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 the whole question is about the thing I'm fighting. The thing I'm fighting is, is always seems like the, the big issue in front of me. But really, if we were to strip it all down, that thing that you're fighting, whatever it is, is aimed at who you are. And in order to really engage in the thing that you're, uh, that you're fighting, whatever it is, and it's going to be different for every one of us um, in this room, but whatever, uh, whatever you're fighting, the first step to victory is knowing who you are because of Christ. If we don't know that answer, we have no solid footing from which to engage the battle. And so the, where we have to start in this conversation is a conversation about um, identity. I know sometimes with the strongholds, we want to go to the answers quickly. I just want to know how to get over this thing in my life. Uh, but if we don't start with a conversation about who we are, again, we have no uh, foundation. We have no footing from which to um, engage and challenge uh, what, is in, what is in front of us. So Jesus makes this connection in John chapter 8, 32, and he, and he refers to himself as the way and the truth and the life. It, so the person of Jesus, he is the, the full revelation of, of who God is. And then here's what he does. He connects two different things. He says, you will know the truth and the truth will, anybody know? What does he say about the truth? The truth will set you free. And he says, by the way, I'm the truth, <laughs> right? So, so who he is, who we are in him is, is in this category of truth. And freedom, the thing that we are uh, aiming for, freedom, victory, overcoming whatever stronghold is in front of us is connected to truth. So this entire four weeks, what we're going to be, uh, what we're going to be working on is what does it look like to engage in truth? How do we know truth in whatever situation that we are in so that in truth, we can be free. And the first thing we're going to cover is truth in the area of identity. You have to know, men, you have to know, we have to know who we are, the truth of who we are in Christ. And that's where we're going to, uh, that's where we're going to begin. But um, I, I want to, uh, before we jump into that a little bit, I want to, we'll see how this goes. Um, but I heard this song, this kind of spur of the moment thing. Um, but I, heard, I actually heard this song yesterday. Um, and, and it, it really caught me off guard because obviously I've been thinking about this, writing all this and, and studying this and thinking a lot about battles. And I heard this song, I know nothing Zero, I know zero facts about this band, about their convictions, about their spiritual. So don't send me that email of like, do you know what they, no, I don't, I don't. So, uh, but I, I heard, I heard uh, this song and it really, the, the way that they describe this fight 
um, really resonated with me. I thought, man, that is an incredible description of what it, I think, uh, what it feels like a, a lot of times in our lives as we, as we seek to fight that good fight of faith. So there's some really interesting lines in here. So I've put the lyrics in front of you um, and we're gonna listen to the song. So you can follow along. We're gonna listen to the song um, and then we're gonna have a bit of discussion about, uh, about this song, about these lyrics and about where you connect. Okay, let's, let's, let's talk about it a little bit. Uh, I had to do a little, I had to do a little research, uh, but if you, it, so interestingly enough, um, the, a king snake uh, often uh, finds its sustenance on, uh, on other snakes and is actually immune to uh, rattlesnake venom. It's really interesting. There's a lot of interesting spiritual truth. I don't know anything about these guys, but there's a lot of interesting spiritual truth in here. But I want to just take through a few things I think are really interesting and things that I think are going to help us as we move through. The first is the last line uh, in the first verse, as long as I'm alive and kicking round and round, it goes. And it's the reality um, that the battle of flesh versus spirit, the battle that we're going to have to um, engage in, truth versus lies, living in the world full of the Holy Spirit and seeking to walk in God's kingdom, there is constantly going to be this round and round and round uh, battle. We don't need to be discouraged about that, but recognize that that, that part of being uh, a Christian in an already and not yet kingdom involves a battle. And we're going to fight that battle um, on the outside, uh, but we're also going to encounter that battle on the inside in our own, uh, in our own flesh. Um, if you, if you jump down uh, to the chorus, man, I thought the chorus was, uh, was really interesting. And what I grabbed from it is man, just the, the really dark, uh, places that, that struggle, especially over a long period of time, the dark places that struggle can take us. The first line he talks about, uh, praying a prayer, even though you don't believe. And it's like this, it's wrestling with doubt. I don't know if you've ever struggled before and, and pray and even as you're praying going, this isn't, is this isn't doing anything. I don't, I'm not making progress. I'm not uh, moving forward. And that wrestling match of doubt, the second line, uh, the, the reason that your loved ones had to grieve that, that sometimes the hurt, um, that the things that we're struggling with can cause uh, the ripple effect that that can cause uh, around us. And then this, the, uh, the tasting of tequila and half remembered, um, sin, this is still a Baptist church, but, um, but he just, uh, just the, just the seeking to even, um, and just what I saw there was just like numbing yourself to, uh, to the reality of, uh, of what sometimes struggle can do with us. And some, and look, he, he uses alcohol here, but, but we seek to numb ourselves in all sorts of different ways and just kind of try to create distance between, um, us and the, uh, and the struggle. Look at the next, uh, not the next line, the next verse where he says, where's the rattle rattler make his home inside the hollows of a heart down amongst the broken pieces of the world, of a world that's fallen apart. And that's exactly where, what we're going to talk about, that's exactly where the enemy wants to go, where, where, where lies are going to embed themselves or, or the, uh, the, the, the Trojan horse that lies are going to uh, come in on and sneak into our heart or, or often through very broken circumstances in the world around us, in relationships that we have, in our own sin, in sin, in the sin of others. And it's those, that broken reality of the world that lies like to creep in on. And that's where the enemy loves to, to bed down and hide. But I love this. I don't know if he's thinking about Jesus or not, but it sure got close to me. But um, he talks about uh, the one that, that they call the king of, of snakes. And he says he's got truth around his belly. So here, again, you will know the truth 
and the truth will set you free. The thing that can overcome um, the poison, uh, the brokenness, the lie is truth. It's truth and, and, and judgment. But he says this, and I, man, this is, a, this is a powerful line, but lately that old rattler's getting good at giving him the slip. And man, is that not describe the reality of sometimes what we're, uh, what we're fighting in is that the spirit of God is present in us. And yet somehow we seem to often find ways to evade the truth, find ways to separate ourselves from the truth or, or, or separate ourselves from one another, from people in our lives that speak the truth. And we figure out ways uh, to manip- manipulate things where we don't really have to deal with the one thing that could set us free. So man, I, I, it was really helpful to me. Um, and, uh, I hope it's helpful for you. Just, uh, I think it was a good way of describing the battle that we often fight. So let's jump into, um, our content here a little bit. And again, I just want to say this again, there's so much here. If you, I'm going to drive you absolutely nuts. If you're trying to follow along deep, like letter by letter, uh, with me, just, don't be frustrated because that's not going to work well. Um, this is just so much more than you need. Hopefully as you take this, uh, home, it gives you some, uh, some help just diving in a little bit deeper. We just don't have time to do all of this content, but here's what I want us to think about. We're going to talk about identity. We're going to talk about the truth of who we are, um, in Christ and how that's formed. And I think one of the best ways to picture that is, uh, is on your, uh, on your book there and uh, on page three, and on the and I'll have stuff on the screen uh, behind me as well. And so it's thinking about just these three concentric circles. And you can see there that there's there's three different layers. And what I want to do is start kind of at the at the very base. And what we're talking about here is we're talking about who we are in Christ, the multiple layers of our identity. Okay. So I want to just have a few people read. Would somebody uh, grab Ephesians chapter one? verse seven through 14. Somebody just raise your hand if you can read that. Ephesians one, okay. And then somebody grab Romans eight, verse 14 through 15. Who can grab Romans eight, 14 through 15? Okay. All right, let's, uh, let's, let's, uh, let's start there with Ephesians chapter one, Nathan, if you're ready. So the first part, the very inner core, and this is gonna be that if we are in Christ, this is something that is gonna be true about every single one of us. This is part of our identity that it's gonna be the exact same for every single one of us. And notice in this passage, and you can go back through it uh, maybe later, but every, uh, there's several different statements that, that start with in him. And they follow within him, they follow with an explanation of who we are and what we have in him. So that word in him, that phrase in him is, is literally talking about the fact that, that because of the cross and the resurrection that we've put, when we've placed our faith in him, we have literally come into uh, fellowship and relationship with the Godhead. So we are, we are in relationship with God, sealed and brought into the family, literally in Christ. And because we are uh, in Christ, the first thing that's true about us is that we have right standing with God. So when we talk about when we talk about standing, we use the word standing there at that very uh, middle. We're talking about our judicial relationship with Him. Meaning, am I in right standing before a holy God? God is righteous and perfect and holy, and I am not. Everybody since Genesis chapter three is not. And but in Christ, in Christ, because of His sacrifice on the cross and and the resurrection, 
I have been made right. I am forgiven. I am righteous. I am blameless, spotless before him. So that's, that, again, that's true about each one of us. But there's something else there that is true about us in Christ that's at the very core, and it's, it's labeled uh, position. So my standing before him is part of it. Uh, and then position, and we don't talk about this as much, but go ahead and read uh, Romans 8, 14, and 15. So a lot of times when we talk about salvation, we, we typically only focus on the judicial side of things. We talk about our standing. We talk about the fact that we are forgiven, that we've been made right before God. And all that is true and good. And we need to hold tight to it. And again, it's at the, the very core of who we are. But what is also true? What does Romans 8 tell us clearly? That we also have a, a, a relational standing before God. That God doesn't just see us as people that have been forgiven. He doesn't just see us as, okay, now they're right with me, but he has brought us into his household, made us part of his family, that we're called sons and been given permission and standing in in such a way that we can call him Abba Father. So it's both. So we have right judicial relationship with God and we have right uh, positional or relational um, relationship with God. If you look down um, from letter two there on page four, uh, I've shown you just three different ways. There's three, there's more than this, but there's three primary uh, relational paradigms that the scripture gives us that we can understand our relationship with God. Uh, God calls us his friends. Uh, we're, we're called friends of, of God. Jesus calls us um, his brother. Uh, we're also, number two there says we're his children, uh, that because we're in Christ, that we have been called children of God. And then Jesus also tells us that he is our, he's our teacher. Uh, so we're, we're in right standing with him uh, judicially, but we also have a certain kind of relational status with God. And I think that's absolutely key. We've got to know that we are children in God's household. So that's that very inside portion. And again, that's true about every single one of us in this room. If, if you have repented of your sin, if you've come into relationship with Jesus, if you've trusted him with your life, then, then the things uh, that we just talked about are true about each and every one of us. But there's a, there's a layer that goes outside of that. So we, that may be true about all of us, but we've got to ask the question, are we all the exact same? Is every single one of us in this room the exact same? And that's for sure not true, right? So it, it, what, what, does that, what does that mean that we're not the same? I want to go to Psalm 139. And somebody read verse 13 through 16. Psalm 139, man, how detailed, how detailed is that passage as it relates to the, the, the way in which God formed and created us. There is unbelievable detail and uh, unbelievable intimacy within that description. When I say that, I mean, just like there is literally an individual approach that it says intricately woven, intricately woven. Man, those are, those are intricately woven. You know what it makes me think of? I mean, I'm terrible at tying fishing line. And it always, especially the, the, the mono line, like it, I'm, it always just bursts and I, you know, it's like constant. That's one, that's one of the reasons that I don't love to fish all the time because I spend more time tying stuff up than I do actually fishing. But when I think about intricately woven, that's what I picture. I picture trying to thread that, that, uh, that line through that little, that little eye and that hook and weaving it around and then trying to find back inside, you know, like, uh, that d- nightmare that always, and you guys are like, no, it's really actually quite simple. But um, 
That's that's the kind of intricately woven, man, that's the kind of detail that's being expressed in that passage. And what's he talking about? He's talking about the way that you and I were formed. He's not talking about putting line on a fishing hook. He's talking about the way that you and I were formed in the depths of the earth. And as we were in the womb of our, of our mother, the days that he had for us numbered before even yet there was one of them. We're talking about a God that has created uh, you uniquely to the detail for his purposes. I mean, to the detail, God has created us uniquely for his purpose. I think we ignore that a lot. Ephesians chapter two, verse 10 tells us that we are his workmanship in Christ Jesus. Again, it's like that intricately woven that we're his workmanship. In first Corinthians chapter 12, Paul grabs that whole idea that, look, we've been uh, each created uniquely. And now we've been brought together in this family, in this thing called a church, in the Messiah's family. And God has intended for all of our uniquenesses to work together for the purpose of his glory. It is on purpose that you and I are unique from one another. And God, by the power of his spirit, only he can do it. Our creator God can weave us together in such a way that there's harmony and brings glory to him. But it's important. And I think a lot of times we don't think a lot about uh, doing this, except for in just like, you know, you've maybe taken a personality test or something, but we don't typically think about the fact that our uniqueness is on purpose. I don't think we oftentimes really uh, press that issue very often and really examine, God, how have you made me unique? Uh, what, what, what kind of personality uh, do I have? What do I like? What do I not like? What are my spiritual gifts? We don't really typically think through that very often, but there is so much detail in you and I that's on purpose. And so that next layer out where it says unique identity. There's some questions on the sheet there that kind of will, will, uh, will help you uh, kind of navigate through, you know, what, is it, what does it look like to even figure out uh, what some of those uniquenesses, I mean, what, start with just, okay, what do you enjoy? What do you like to do? What do you do well? Uh, how do you fit in the body of Christ? Have you ever uh, taken a personality test? What did it reveal? Like, what, are your, what, what is unique to you? And kind of stepping back and going, God, maybe you've done that on purpose. Uh, maybe, there's, maybe there's uniquenesses here that you've, that you've done on purpose, that you're building on top of the foundation of who I am in you, but I'm also, um, I'm also unique, and that's a good and wonderful thing. Um, okay, and then the last one, that last layer out. Uh, again, all these are components of identity. So we've got our position and our standing. Then on the, a, a layer out from that is our unique identity. And then we've got something called vocation. Now, this one's really, really, really interesting because most of the time we think about vocation as identity. When I'm talking about vocation, I'm talking about what we do. The, 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 your, your, your deal here says the setting of your life. So like, think about uh, the roles you play in your community. Think about the job you have. What do people call you <laughs> that's not your name? Don't answer that, David Cooey. Don't answer that. Uh, but, <laughs> right? Uh, the point is, so it, what do people call you that's not your name? You're going to find out a lot about the roles that you play. 
Uh, what roles do you play in your family? What roles do you play in your community? You know, your husband, maybe father, uh, maybe boss, maybe, uh, you know, I don't know. But, but those different roles, that, those are ways of talking about our vocation. And most of the time, especially as men, because God has hardwired in us uh, the, the desire to work and that a lot of gratification that, that for us that comes out of, uh, of work. And that's not, a, that's not a bad thing. But sometimes what we do is we take uh, work or our vocation we blow that way up. We exclude everything else. And now what we do, those roles that we have become who we are. And very often what happens in those moments is that we get totally lost in what we do. And we find that we actually are quite empty in our understanding of, uh, of who we are. And how many of you have experienced change in what you do? <laughs> Anybody? Anybody experienced change in the roles that you maybe have occupied? Maybe jobs have changed. Maybe the setting of your life has changed. And what happens when we build our entire identity around what we do and then it changes? And sometimes those changes aren't bad changes. I mean, sometimes they're negative. Sometimes it's, it's tough stuff that happens that cause them change. But sometimes it's just normal change. And then what happens? Then we have to go through a whole reset process. We don't even know who we are anymore because I don't do that anymore. People don't call me by that title anymore. And so I'm kind of lost. I don't know who I am. And, the, and what's happened there is we've built vocation uh, to be the whole of identity, but it's not supposed to be that. Vocation is, imagine vocation as the conduit from which the re, those deeper things work themselves out. Okay, so right now I'm a pastor. I may not be a pastor forever, but right now who God has created me to be, who he's, who he's uniquely called me to be is working itself out in the vocation of being a pastor. And for, and for you, it's, it's, it's different. For, for every one of you in this room, there's certain vocations that you hold and have. And the idea is that those become the setting from which God brings out who you are in him at the very core, who he's uniquely created you to be within that vocation uh, in order to advance the kingdom. So all of those are really, really, really important. And here's what I wanna, uh, here's what I wanna talk about uh, a little bit today because I think this is what can uh, happen to us in a, worldly, uh, in a worldly setting. And I wanna have just some discussion with you uh, within your group. But here's, so, so this is all, this is, this is good. This is what we just said, right? This is the way that God intended for it to be. That the, the deepest core of us is about who we are in him. Um, and then it works itself out from there. But most of the time in the world, um, and this is why we have to talk about identity, uh, what are some things that in, in worldly terms we use to give ourselves identity. What do you think? Okay. Yeah. Our politics. Okay. Okay. I'm going to just leave that under religion. What about this one right here? I'm going to make it short. <laughs> How much you got? <laughs> right. Uh, okay. What else? Okay. Yeah, there you go. Your title. Did you say power? Okay. Yeah, where are you on the ladder? Okay, that's good. We, we could probably keep going. And here's, what, here's typically what happens. What we do is we take, we take these things and these become the measuring point of identity. And so what we do is we use these and work our way in. You see that? 
We take, we take these elements of our lives. And look, we get in this trap as Christians too. We absolutely get into this trap as, as Christians. We talk, we, I mean, in any, one of these, in any one of these categories. And what we do is we take those things about us and we make those the core of who we are. And the enemy loves this. Because first of all, it's not true about you. That right there is a lie. That arrow right there is a lie. You are not your politics. You are not the money you have or don't have. You are not your, and here's another one. This, is, this was one that I forgot I wanted to put on here. I think I'm spelling this right. You are not your success or your failures. How many of us have been defined by our, by our, our greatest failures? How many of us are tempted to, in our greatest successes, define ourselves that way? And the world loves this. I mean, the world chirps this stuff all the time. And that you'll climb the ladder, be great, find success. Why? Because that is who you are. And all of that, all of that is a lie. But that's what it's trying to do is go from the outside, things that are on the exterior and work themselves in. And here's the deal. The moment that we, and why we're talking about this today, the moment that we believe this, all sorts of strongholds are gonna be set up in our lives. All sorts of struggle is going to happen if this right, these things right here get into the core of our heart and our belief about who we are. So the reason that we're starting right here is because so much of our struggle is connected to the fact that we don't know who we are. And when we don't know who we are in Christ, we are going to struggle as it works itself out. Does it make sense? You guys tracking with me? So all sorts of strongholds are set up in our life because at the core of our heart, we're lost. We don't know who we are um, in him. And so the beginning of this whole process is not, what are you struggling with? We need to figure out how to get around that. The beginning of this process is, do you know who you are because of what he has done? That's where it all has to begin. And when we set that up right, then what happens is who we are in him right there at the very core, you can see it's just kind of right here at the, uh, at the base is going to work its way out into the way you live, right? It's why Jesus spends so much time not correcting behavior, but talking to people about the inside, he wants to get into the heart. He knows that the core of humanity where we're broken is our heart and that we need to be renewed and renovated in our heart because all of the stuff out here that we're struggling with and battling is going to connect to the lies and the deceit and the brokenness that sits inside of us, right? So that's where we have to, uh, that's where we have to begin. So I want to just uh, kind of finish this up a little bit here with some discussion, um, and, and then I'm going to give you a homework assignment. So I want you to talk about, um, I've drawn this out here. I hope you can read that handwriting, but um, I've kind of drawn this out here. I would love for you guys to talk about just in your groups for about seven minutes, six or seven minutes. How do you experience this just in a, in a real world way? How do you come up against the pressure 
from the world to define yourself in these terms? Like what's that look like and feel like in your world on a day-to-day basis? How do you, how do you encounter it? Does that make sense? Is that a good, sometimes I don't ask good questions. Is that a, okay, is that good? Okay, all right, I'm gonna give you about six or seven minutes to talk through that and then we will close with some homework. Go. Okay. Man, I hate to, I hate to cut you off a lot so we could, we could talk about uh, there. I want to get into uh, an exercise I want you to do, but just kind of wrapping that up and just a couple things I, uh, I heard listening around. One of the, if you go to page five, you'll see at the, uh, at the bottom of page five, uh, one of the ways I think that is a real indicator that this sort of uh, pressure to conform to uh, the identity standards of the world is, is uh, overtaking us uh, is whether or not we are, uh, we're self-led instead of spirit-led. And when we're self-led, see all those things there that are on the left-hand side of the screen, all those are about what you do or what's been done to you. They're all in human control, human power. And when we're trying to maintain identity based on what we do, uh, based on our achievements or what, when, we, when, it is, when it is based on us, then I promise you, you're exhausted and burned out. Uh, you cannot run that race for long. That's an exhausting thing to try and keep up identity based on your own strength, own power. Um, and instead, we're supposed to be uh, we're supposed to be spirit led. And so, that just if you're if you're kind of in the spot of exhaustion, um, those things have pressed against you. You're trying to keep up, trying to maintain, trying to maintain, trying to maintain, and you're burned out, tired. That's a really good indicator that there's a there's potential that you're trying to hang on to identity based on something other than what is said about you. See, the thing about what Jesus says about us is that it is a finished work. There is nothing else left for you to do except for to rest in what he has done on your behalf. So the difference when we are finding our identity in Christ, then we are peaceful and joy-filled people. I'm not saying clicking our heels, you know, skittles and rainbows all the time that nothing ever bad happens. I'm just saying, but I'm just saying there's a deep sense of joy and peace. I'm not struggling all the time to try and maintain. Um, so those are, those are really important indicators. But the other thing to say is that this is not something that happens once. So if you're feeling like, man, I'm kind of in this fight, I'm pushing this stuff off. I, I feel that pressure to conform a bunch. That's called living in the world. And that doesn't mean you're doing a, a, a bad job. That, that lie um, is going to be the, one of the main weapons that the enemy wants to use uh, against you. Because the idea is if he can get you to believe a lie at the core of who you are, he can kind of leave you alone. You're kind of toast, you know? If I believe a lie at the foundation of who I am, then the domino effect is, is huge. So just because you're feeling that pressure, uh, that, that just calls you normal, okay? That just means you're normal. You're going to feel, we have to constantly resist making our identity come from anything else other than Jesus. It's an active resistance. So um, just, just have that in mind. Um, just uh, go to page six. So your homework, page six and seven. Homework maybe is too aggressive of a term for the summertime. Um, but, uh, but something I'd love for you to do, this is a discipline that was introduced to me um, when I was in seminary. Uh, and it was really challenging. It was way harder than I thought it was going to be. Uh, but I went to Fuller Seminary. They call this the, uh, the central integration question. You can call it whatever you want. Um, but it's a, it's a question that kind of challenges you to reflect on each of these elements of identity that we've talked about. So here's the question. The question is, at this point in your journey, how do you envision 
your call to God's mission in the world. So it can sound like an intimidating question, uh, but, but please, please just go through it slowly. On the left-hand side, bottom of page six, what I've done is written some brief descriptions of what each little section kind of means to try to help guide you in answering the question. But I think it's really important that we reflect on who, who has God called me to be? You know, who, who am I really? Like, what, what, where, what's my role uh, in this thing called the kingdom of God? And, and I think most of the time, we actually don't consider that very often. Most people don't spend much time thinking about uh, this question. So it says in 250 words or less, that's, that's meant to try and keep you, those are boundaries, okay? That's meant to keep you from being too wordy be simple. Use your words. Don't try to put a bunch of Christianese in it, okay? If, you, if you've got a bunch of just spiritual language to try to fluff it up, then you don't even understand what it says, okay? If you don't understand what it says, then I sure am not going to understand. Your table's not going to understand. It needs to be a, the kind of thing that you would say to somebody on your front porch with a cup of coffee, Okay, it needs to be your words, normal, plain speech. But what we're doing is just kind of saying, okay, God, at this point where I'm at right now, how would I talk about who you've created me to be as it relates to what you're doing in the world? How do I fit? That's what that question is about. And if it helps to go back into those layers of identity and kind of look through what those different layers are to kind of bring some of these words out, then great. But it just needs to be your your words. How does, I ought to be able to read that. Your friend ought to be able to read that and go, oh, I'm, that's Matt. That's Matt. I see Matt uniquely in there. Okay. So it needs to have you in it. Um, I would love for you to do that. We're going to start our session next week, kind of sharing this, talking this through with one another. Okay. So that's where we're going to start. So if you get a chance to do this, it'd be really, really, really helpful. Um, but, uh, but, but that's all for today. So I hope that's a good jumping off point. There's, look at here, next week, next week, look at page eight. We are going to get in it. We got fill in the blanks and all sorts of fun for you. We're going to get after it. Uh, so anyway, hey guys, thank you. I want to say at the very end of every session, what I'm going to say is uh, we're getting into some stuff and there may be something, man, you, you, whatever you may or may not be struggling with may kind of come to the surface a little bit during this time. And I can just tell you this, that these four weeks are not going to solve it. These four weeks, what we're trying to do is give you a biblical framework for engaging in strongholds. But you know where this stuff really gets fleshed out and played out? With one another over the long haul in the context of this thing called friendship. And so I would just encourage you just to start to consider whether or not you've got other men in your life that can talk to you and you can talk to them about things like this. Do those relationships exist in your life? And if they do, are you seriously pursuing them? Here at the, our church, we call them community groups. Um, and, and we want to talk to you about it. If you're not in one, don't know what they are, want to form one. And all it is, is just, are there other men in your life that you can talk to about this kind of thing? That's as simple as I can make it. Um, we want to help you do that. Uh, so all throughout these four weeks, uh, we're going to say, hey, make that a priority in your life. A gathering of men in a thing called friendship where you can really slug out the kingdom of God. Um, and if you need help doing that, 
Matt Murray is your guy. He is our community group guru, can help you get it all figured out. So uh, don't hesitate at any point in this process to go, hey, Matt, I need to hear more about that. I want to talk about that. Sound good? Okay, I'm going to say that every week, but um, want you guys to be involved in those. Those are life-changing relationships.